everyone. Welcome to the Spring Chiro podcast. I'm Lisa. I talked a few episodes ago about your bones and in particular I talked about the spine and how important the spinal cord is for the communication between your brain and your body. The brain plus spinal cord is your central nervous system. So today I'm going to focus on the other part of that, the brain, that good old master computer in your head. Now, clearly, your brain is incredibly important for your health overall from both the physical and how your body functions point of view, but also from an emotional and a mental point of view, obviously. In fact, the brain's probably going to warrant several of these episodes on its own. So today, I'm just going to zoom into the nitty gritty first. And in later episodes, I'll look at the bigger picture and something for you to look forward to. You'll find out exactly how and why you can change how your brain works. It's powerful stuff. So for today, just like I spoke last week about your muscles needing glucose and oxygen, amongst other things, to be able to produce the energy to be able to do the work, so does your brain. And even if you didn't know that we call it the master computer of your body, the fact that your brain makes up about 2% of your total body weight, and yet takes up over 20% of your body's energy usage, and that's just when your brain is effectively at rest, This gives you an indication of just how important our brains are. In fact, your brain uses 10 times the rate of energy per gram of tissue compared to the rest of your body. As we know, your brain is protected by the skull and it's surrounded within the skull by a lovely cushion of fluid. So your brain actually kind of floats inside your skull, a bit like a balloon bobbing around in there, which is good because otherwise every time you moved your head, your brain might bump against the inside of your skull and cause some damage. But as well as cushioning and protecting the brain, this fluid is very important because it provides the nutrients that your brain cells need to work. For example, that glucose and oxygen, as well as to take away any rubbish or waste products. So the fluid is called cerebrospinal fluid or CSF, and it's produced into that space around the brain from the bloodstream. And it circulates all the way around down your spinal cord as well to the bottom of your lower back. This is why if you've ever had or heard of a lumbar puncture, this is where they put a needle into the lower back to take a sample of this fluid to tell them if there's infection in the brain, for example. And it's safer to take the sample from that area with less risk of damaging the brain itself or the spinal cord. But since it's the same fluid that surrounds the brain, it still holds the important information. You may have also heard about the blood-brain barrier. And if I was speaking to you just about even last year, I would probably be saying that it's not usually what people think it is. It's not a physical membrane or a barrier as such. It's just the fact that the small blood vessels that go to your brain have walls that are lined with really tightly packed cells that basically turn them into a very fine sieve or filter. So it allows certain things to get, the essential things to get through to your brain, while hopefully stopping any damaging things like toxins, germs, certain chemicals from getting to your brain. But breaking news, and this is really very recent, there was a rumour, I was reading a paper recently, that scientists have actually discovered a physical membrane type of structure as well. But there's not a lot of information around on this just yet because it is so new. But if you hear that something can cross the blood-brain barrier, it usually refers to something that's not necessarily very good for you. For example, alcohol, caffeine, and some drugs can cross it. Interestingly, also, the COVID spike protein itself was also shown in studies to cross the barrier. And other studies also showed it could disrupt the function of the barrier and and make it less of a fine sieve. This perhaps explains some of the 
more widespread damage done by the COVID virus and the spike protein itself in some people. The blood-brain barrier can also be disrupted by, now this one, I have to say, this blew my mind when I first read about it. The blood-brain barrier can be disrupted by the balance of bacteria in your gut. Yes, more detail on that when we look at gut health in the future. Now, the cells that make up your brain consist of nerve cells called neurons and lots of various helper cells. And we're interested for now in the neurons, the brain cells in particular. And how many brain cells do you think we've got in our brain? How many neurons do you think we've got in our brain? The answer is more than you can probably imagine. For a long time, scientists believed we had around 100 billion neurons in our brain. That's a one with 11 zeros after it. But actually, around 15 years ago, we all lost quite a few brain cells overnight because they came up with a more accurate way of counting them. And they came up with 86 billion neurons. Okay, so what's the difference of 14 billion between you and me? 86 billion is still a very, very lot. We can't even imagine those kinds of numbers. To try and put it into, into context for you, if you've ever had any building work done, and had a delivery of sand in one of those huge builder's merchants bags, you know, the bulk bags, cubic meter, one cubic meter bags, for example. One of those is estimated to hold about 70 billion grains of sand. So our brains have that, plus another roughly 20% worth of neurons in it. How incredible is that? I wish I knew what the, the podcast equivalent of the emoji with the brain exploding out the top is, because it's literally mind-blowing. Anyway, scientists also believed for a long time that you couldn't grow new neurons in your brain. Also currently a bit of a contentious issue. There is now some evidence that maybe we can grow new neurons in some areas of our brains. I'm not a neuroscientist though, so I will leave that argument to the experts. But however many of them we have, neurons all work by firing nerve impulses, which are effectively messages in the form of electrical signals. So neurons are just like tiny little wires transmitting electrical signals along them. And of course, they can't just work in isolation. They have to be part of the bigger circuit. So they have to be able to pass the signal on somehow. And I would suggest that the number of neurons we have is actually not necessarily the most relevant and significant thing for us when we're considering how our brain functions. And in particular, with regard to our cognitive abilities, our intelligence, our learning, because it's the connections between all those neurons that allow the electrical signals to be passed to all the relevant areas that is the really significant thing to me. Learning is effectively when new connections are made between the neurons in your brain. And to understand this, I'd like you to imagine a forest packed with a lot of trees, lots of them, billion, in fact, 86 billion of them, with very, very slim tree trunks, so they're packed very densely together, but which all have a canopy of branches that reach up and out. And actually, for that matter, they have a network of roots underground, obviously, that reach out and down. But eventually, these branches will grow out and touch the branches of the trees nearest to them and around them. And where the branches meet, that's the connection I was talking about. And this is similar to what happens between neurons in your brain. It's this type of connection, which is officially called a synapse, that means the electrical signal, the the nerve impulse, the message, can then be passed on. And since in our forest, each of our trees, i.e. each neuron, can have up to 7,000 branches each, you can imagine we are talking about a lot of synapses. And from the moment we're born, our brain is making those connections. Those of you who have spent any time at all with young children have seen just how quickly that learning takes place. They really are like sponges. 
They just soak everything up so effortlessly. I know two families here with children growing up with parents of two different nationalities, neither of them English, growing up here in the UK. So these children's brains are learning three different languages simultaneously as they grow. And in fact, children don't start to speak until around two years old, not because their brains can't figure out how to do it yet, but because there's a level of physical development and maturity of the throat, the voice box, etc., that's needed first. But cognitively, they are very aware of what you're saying to them much earlier than you might think. And they can also communicate with you much earlier than you might think if they're given the right tools. And, and that's where things like baby sign language comes in, for example. Unfortunately, we are seeing changes these days in the way that children's brains are learning and developing. And it's not in a very positive way. And that's thanks to screens, phones, the iPads, the tablets, etc. Definitely a whole topic for another episode. But usually, and certainly when we all went through childhood, literally billions and billions of connections were made between the neurons in our brains. But when we reached adolescence, a very interesting thing happened. I'll keep the forest analogy going here. Your body sent in the head gardener of the estate with a massive pair of shears, who then had a good old pruning session on the trees and got rid of any of the connections that were no longer useful. And any trees that got shorn too much basically died. So any neurons or connections that had previously been made that were no longer being used die off at this stage in life. You hear me use this phrase a lot in relation to many things in the body, and this is the classic example of use it or lose it. This is what happens during adolescence. In fact, to some extent, it continues into our early 20s, where the brain reorganizes itself to its adult format according to how it has been and is being used at that stage. Hence, one of the problems with screen time in children uh, at a young age, also with alcohol or drug use, all of these affect the pruning as well as the development of the connections. And absolutely huge numbers of connections are pruned at this stage. In fact, young children have 50% more synapses in their brains than an adult does before this pruning happens. But the good news is learning definitely does not stop there. We can still keep making new synapses and new connections throughout our lives. And in fact, that's very important that we do. Don't worry, you will find out how and why in future episodes as well. So I've looked at the individual trees and their branches but I want to just now take a step back and look at the forest as a whole. So looking at the whole brain, generally speaking, it can be divided into three main parts, the brainstem, the cerebellum, and the cerebral hemispheres. I am trying not to use too many fancy scientific names or chemical names for things, by the way. They're not really necessary for you to know, but sometimes it is just easier. Uh, feel free to filter out anything like that. So the brainstem is the bit right at the bottom of your brain. This is the bit that directly connects the brain to the spinal cord. So obviously it's important for all of that brain-body communication that I talked about before. The brainstem also has areas that control our very, very basic survival stuff like breathing, heart rate, blood flow, oxygen levels, carbon dioxide levels, things like that. The cerebellum, which is about the size of your fist, is particularly important in maintaining posture and balance as well as voluntary move movements. There may also be a lot more to it. They are really just starting to explore now other roles of the cerebellum. But the juicy stuff for us today is really in the cerebral hemispheres. These are the largest parts to your brain at the top. They're the bit that you think of when you think of a picture of a brain. They look a bit like intestines all coiled together. And there's a left and a right side. And these are responsible for everything from dealing with vision, hearing, touch, in fact, all of your senses, including the proprioception I've talked about before. 
They are responsible for initiating and coordinating movements, for speech, for problem solving, for reasoning, basically actual thinking. And all of these things happen in different parts of the brain. And the scientists and anatomists have done a fantastic job of mapping it all out. They have divided the hemispheres into lobes, and we know that certain lobes control certain functions. So, for example, the visual cortex is found at the base of your brain at the back, and this receives all of the information from your eyes. At the sides of your brain, under the kind of ear areas, are the lobes that process sounds and understand language as well as to form speech. And the lobes do not work in isolation from each other, although they've mapped out all the different functions. There are also lots of interconnections between different lobes because the ones at the side that I just mentioned, for example, also play a visual role. They help to make sense of what you see, so recognising faces or familiar objects. And speech is actually quite a complicated function. It involves both control of your mouth, your breath, your tongue and so on to actually make the intelligible sounds but it also involves hearing, making sense of and understanding what others say. So it's actually got several areas devoted to different aspects of it that are spread throughout different lobes of the brain. At the front of your brain, on basically on the other side of your forehead, is the lobe that we say is the higher, most evolved part of our brain. This is the area responsible for decision-making, your ability to plan ahead, your personality traits, things like that. The things that we tend to think of as our self. The official name of this, if you're interested, is the prefrontal cortex. It's sometimes called the executive brain. You can think of it as being where your board of directors meets <laughs> to talk strategy and plan ahead. Another bit of trivia for you, this hugely important part of your brain that affects your behaviour and your ability to make logical decisions doesn't actually fully mature and reach its adult form until the age of, drumroll please, 25. <laughs> Culturally, obviously we have 18 as the officially adult age, but that is not backed up by the neuroscience. This is clearly not a very popular fact amongst the, say, 23 to 24-year-olds, because the worst bit is they believe they are fully capable of adult decision-making and logic. But this is a really exciting part of the brain for us as chiropractors, because research that's been done shows chiropractic adjustments can actually influence and change the way that that part of your brain is working, for the better, I might add. And at the top of your brain, we have two bands of neurons that stretch across, almost from ear to ear, if you like, underneath where you might wear a headband. And the band towards the front is called the motor cortex, which is the origin for any instructions from your brain to move any muscles in your body voluntarily. So if I want to move my finger, the instruction for that originates right at the top of my head. And then the band behind that is called the sensory cortex, and that receives all the information from your skin all over your body, whether it's sensations of touch, pressure, so on. And one of my favourite things that we learned in neurology was about something called the homunculus. And that's not just because of the name, although I love the word, but homunculus translates directly as little person. And this is where scientists mapped out all those motor and sensory areas according to which parts of the body they are either giving or receiving information to and from. And they represented this into a diagram. And if you Google homunculus, you'll see the diagram I'm talking about. Because some areas in your body are more sensitive than others, for example, your finger is a lot more sensitive to touch than your elbow is, the bits that are more sensitive have more neurons devoted to them within the brain. So in the diagram, they are shown proportionately bigger. And the result is the weirdest looking person you've ever seen. This thing has huge hands, huge lips, huge tongue, in fact, a huge face, while the rest of the head is, is quite a lot smaller. Torso and legs are reasonably small, and then 
really massive feet. And it's a great way to see at a glance how the sensitivity of different areas is distributed. The motor homunculus and the sensory homunculus are slightly different, um, but, but similar overall. So we, we know an awful lot about what happens in which parts of your brain. But the best thing, I think, the best thing about our brains is that that distribution of function can change depending on circumstances. This is the really fascinating stuff about our brains. And I'm going to leave you on a cliffhanger about that this week, because I'm going to talk another time about how our brains can change. And by that, I don't just mean physically in its structure, which it can as well, but also mentally and emotionally. So in the way that you actually think. In the meantime, I'm wishing you the best health and happiness. Take care.